forgiveness as they were brought out of darkness and error and bondage and death into light, truth, freedom and life. God was making a new people from a people who'd almost forgotten their origins, who'd been 400 years enslaved in the land of Egypt. But God brought them out with a strong right arm and a mighty hand. And he brought them to the Mount of Horeb, or of Sinai, as we call it today. And he accompanied them. How? How do they know God was with them? Do you remember what the scripture said? He travelled with them by day as a pillar of cloud, and at night by a pillar of fire. I want to read you something from the book of Deuteronomy. If I can find it, sorry. Not the book of Deuteronomy, sorry, the book of Exodus. Exodus 13, 17 to 22. After Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, though that was nearby. Have you ever wondered about that? If you look at a map, why was it that when God took the people out of Egypt, he didn't go just straight up by the coast into the land of promise? He, in fact, took them a very long way around. In fact, it took one generation to die out completely before they reached the promised land. Only two people of the original generation survived. Does anyone remember who they are? Joshua and Caleb. So here it is. So he didn't take them along the road to the land of the Philistines, although that was nearby, for God said the people might change their minds if they see war and return to Egypt. So he led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And Bani Israel, that is the people of Israel, went up out of the land of Egypt armed. Verse 19 is extraordinary. Moses also took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made Bani Israel, the people of Israel, swear an oath saying, God will surely remember you and, and then you are to carry my bones away with you. They took their past with them. They never forgot where they'd come from. They never forgot that Joseph was enslaved and brought to the land 400 years earlier. And they packed his bones and carried them with him to bury him in the land of promise. You know, we Orthodox Christians should never forget from where we come. Our faith is an apostolic and ancient faith. We are a people with a history. We are a people with a history. We're surrounded by it here, by the beautiful saints and teachers of our holy Orthodox faith. So they journeyed from Sukkot and encamped in Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they could travel day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never departed from the people. Listen, God never departs from his people. You ever feel like God's not with you? Feel alone, lost, tired? The journey's just too hard being a Christian? But he is with you. And he never abandons you. You may not feel the presence, but oh, he is there as sure as the next breath you breathe. For if you were not, your breath would fail. All things exist from him, through him, with him and in him. 
and everything is as according to his will. Okay. In Exodus, this is a little bit back and forward, this talk. We'll get to the point of it in a minute. I just want to give you some background information first. So now we're at Mount Sinai. They've travelled out, they've come to Sinai. In the morning of the third day, Exodus 19:16 and following, there was thundering and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain, the blast of an exceedingly loud shofar, the ram's horn, you know. Very loud, extremely loud. It says trumpet in the old translations, it's a shofar. It's the ram's horn, which the Jews to this day still blow for worship. It has an extraordinary sound to it. So the sound was the sound of an exceedingly loud shofar. That's strange. Strange. And there was thunder and there was lightning and there was thick cloud. So this is telling us that the presence of God is powerful. Thunder and lightning and the thick cloud denotes what? Holiness because it covers the essence because man cannot look on the face of God and live. They have come to a place where God dwells with them in an extraordinary manner. It says here, all the people in the camp trembled. How long in your life has it been or have you ever trembled in the presence of God? I suspect most of us haven't because our God is a somewhat domesticated belief. But there are moments, particularly in the Mass, when the doors of perception, when our hearts are open to God's presence and we can perceive something other than our feelings, something deeper happening, something that we are a part of which you can't quite understand or explain. There are times when the clouds move a little. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now on the mountain itself, God said to them, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so these fear may be in you so that you do not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Why? Because just like the call he received at the burning bush, remember, what was God's command to do? Take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he did exactly that. He took off his sandals and he stood in that holy place, trembling in the presence of God and making every excuse under the sun as to why he should not do what God had called him to do. Oh, I love the scriptures. They tell it just like it is. Moses has his faults like you and me. God can work straight with us, even though we're crooked. And that gives me great hope. Moses went towards the thick darkness. He drew near. Something is going to happen. Remember, they've come out of Egypt. They're a new nation. And what does a nation need? It needs God. Of course they have that, they kept the faith while they were in Egypt but their sense of nationhood was not developed at all so God was going to give them Torah which we translate in English as law but it actually means instruction which is a bit of a softer word than law 
a little more inviting. Law sounds legal and you must, you must. Yeah, that's fine. But remember that God says to the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, I set before you this day life and death, therefore choose life that it may go well with you in the land where you will live. So the law or the instruction of God actually means that if you follow these rules, the maker's instructions, it works. It's like when you get a product. Now, most of us men, I think the women are smarter here, most of us men think we can put anything together that we buy, any machine we have, any, any device we have. And the last thing you do, or the last thing I ever do, I only read the instructions if I fail to put the thing together properly, which is usually nine times out of ten. I eventually turn to the instructions, you see. That's why you need instructions, because they're a sure guide to get you to the right result. And that's what the law of God is. Now, we summarise that law in Ten Commandments as actually... 603 other ones, mainly for Jewish worship and observance, all designed to build a people. And the extraordinary thing today is that our Western society still largely, though it's disappearing, is built on that law that God spoke all those years ago, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago at Mount Sinai. We're a Judeo-Christian society based on the morality Forgiven for thinking it's not these days, but that's the origin of Western civilization, Christian civilization. So Moses is then called by God to go up the mountain. This will be a test for him to go up to the mountain. <clears throat> it says here 24 9 Moses and Aaron. And Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Now this is a very extraordinary verse. They saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the very heavens. Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of Bani Israel, of the children of Israel. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. What? 24.11, I mean, Moses, what did you write that for? They saw God and they ate and drank? That doesn't seem the right response, does it? You're being dragged halfway up a mountain, the clouds peel back, God has appeared to you in this extraordinary fashion and you eat and drink? Later commentators have said that the eating and drinking was an inappropriate response. And later on you find out in the book of Deuteronomy, I think, that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, are punished for disrespect before God. Now, let's take it out of that situation at Sinai and take the moral lesson for us, or the spiritual lesson for Christians today. Treat the things of God with respect and awe. Treat the things of God with respect and awe. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what the Bible tells us. All right. So they're eating and drinking on the mountain. This is not going to end up well for them. Then the Lord says to Moses, come up to me in the mountain and stay there. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written so you may instruct them. 
So then God takes Moses on this journey further up. Now, climbing mountains isn't an easy thing to do. I don't know if many of you have done it. It's not easy. And if you've ever been to Mount Sinai, uh, that's very difficult even today. I was there in 1992, and I can tell you the steps up the mountain, and there's steps that are there now, they're about as high as this. So you've got to lift your legs up. And this, of course, nobody had built tourist steps on Sinai when they were there. It was hard going. It was hard going. And you think about it. Would you want to climb a mountain that's covered in thick smoke? Some weird sounding shofar being blown, you blow your ears out the sound of it? Thunder and lightning? I'm terrified. That sort of thing. But they did it. And what's more, Moses went even further. He obeyed God. You see, that's why Moses is the prophet and God-seer. He is the one who is given by God an extraordinary vision, but we'll come to that in a moment. Now, I'm telling you all this because I'm talking to you about journeying, about travelling, about preparation, and about getting yourself ready for union with God, for communion with him. As Christians, of course, this happens chiefly to us in the Holy Mass, doesn't it? But how many of us really prepare to have communion, which is as much, if not actually more, a meeting of God than Moses even had? We are taking Christ's holy body and most precious blood into ourselves. And we can so casually do that. Or we can be more thoughtful, prepare more, offer ourselves to him more. Okay? Now, he says, come up. So Moses rose up, <coughs> went along with his attendant Joshua, but Moses went up onto the mountain of God. To the elders, he said, wait for us here till we come back. If there's any trouble, see Aaron and her. They'll sort it out, all right? Because this is going to get sticky. He's going to be stuck up there for a long time and they're going to get down and they're going to start to party. Because they say, well, he's gone, he's left me, what am I going to do up here? Well, what did he take us out here for? We could have been eating fool in Egypt or falafel, whatever you want to have. But no, we're out here, we just got a little bit of manna to eat God gave us. Where are we going with all this? That's what they're thinking. That's exactly what they're thinking. We want to go back. We want security. We want closure to this part of our life. We're sick of the journey already. Oh, my Lord, Kyrie Eleison. It's going to go on a lot longer than the few days from Egypt to Sinai. Go on a whole generation, just as well they didn't know it. Okay. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled upon the mountain. The cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day, oh, that's a good thing. Six days the mountain was covered, and on the seventh day, which is? Shabbat, Sabbath. The Sabbath of the Lord. The cloud moves away. And he calls to Moses out of the centre of the cloud. Out of the centre of the unknowableness. That is unknowable, unknowable. This voice of God calls to him. And it says here, The appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain, the site of Bani Israel. People looked up and were astounded. 
What on earth is this sound and light show going on up there? What is happening here? So he entered, Moses entered into the midst of the cloud and went up to the mountain. And he was on that mountain how many days and nights? Uh uh, 40. Now, four days and nights would be difficult. 14 would be hard. 24 would be harder. 34, 40. This is entering crazy. 40 days to leave the people down at the bottom without their leader, their charismatic, their gifted leader who's disappeared in a cloud of smoke on top of a mountain with a God that has no form. The gods of the pagans, they had funny statues of them. They had an image of God, but this God has no form. They come out of Egypt. They've got less food, less security. Where are you taking us? We can't see the sign to Israel. We're stuck down here and you're up there. What are they going to do? They're going to party. Oh, they're going to hit the clubs. They are. They're going to party big time. They're going to do horrible things. And Moses is stuck up there interceding for them, begging God to have mercy and receiving in himself the grace to complete the journey to the promised land. 40 days and 40 nights. And then chapter 25, 26, 27, 28, blah, 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 goes on for about five or six chapters to tell us all the laws that God gave to Moses. It says in 33, 11, The Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not leave the tent, the tent of presence. It says he spoke with him face to face. It doesn't mean he appeared face to face. It means he had intimate communion with him. He spoke with him and gave him these blessed instructions of how to form the community and safeguard them, especially in the journey that lay ahead. This is giving us an insight into the intimacy between the prophets of God and the God who calls them to do a particular work. If you remember the call of the prophet Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, come out, leave your father's home and go to a land I will show you. And Abraham earns the title, friend of God. Friend of God, because the scripture says he spoke to God as a man does with a friend. Jesus reminds us in the New Testament, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Friends. It's beautiful. A friend is, according to Plato, to bring an old Greek philosopher into it, a friend is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. Do you like that? I love that. A single soul dwelling in two bodies. Somebody who loves, respects and cherishes another's life as much as they love, respect and cherish their own. 33.20 it says, and this is why it's not contradictory, it says, oh actually, I'll go back a few verses earlier. 33.18, Moses has an attack of what the Hebrews call chutzpah, cheekiness. He says to God this, Please, show me your glory. After all this, you want to see more Moses? After all the sound and light show? Show me your glory. 
And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. So God is going to give to Moses not what he wants, but what he needs. That is to say, not an image of glory, but an infilling in his soul of such extraordinary non-human goodness, the source of all goodness itself, that he will never, ever forget this and he will pass it on to his children and their children. Show me your face. Show me your glory. And he gets his goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, God says, and I will call out the name Yahweh before you, the sacred tetragrammaton. Y-H-W-H in English. yod Hey vov Hai in Hebrew. The sacred name of God. The pronunciation of which none are certain to this day. It means I am who I am. I have been who I have been and I will be who I will be. Total, absolute consistency. Essence of all existence and non-existence. The one who simply is. So I will cause my goodness to go before you. I will proclaim my name to you. The same name you heard at the burning bush. And he says this. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will be merciful. But he also said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. No man can see me and live. Why is that? Because man is finite, a beginning and an end. Because man has fallen through sinfulness, is unable to cope with the glory of the uncreated itself. It's actually the same kind of thing he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Of all the trees you may eat, but don't eat that one. The knowledge of good and evil, you're just not ready for it, kids. It's grown-ups food and you're just not in the league. So don't do it. Don't do it. You cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And the Lord says to Moses, see, he doesn't let Moses alone. He says, see, there's a place near me. You will stand on the rock. Stand on that rock. Actually, it says crevice. Stand in the crack of that rock there. And my glory will pass you by. And I will put you in the cut of that rock. And I will cover you with my hand. This is not like the God of the pagans. Here is a God who takes humanity seriously. Who doesn't simply command worship and to be told how great you are. He knows that. He doesn't need to be told that. He shows such love, such intimate love and communion with Moses that he will not only place him in the cleft of a rock, a hiding place if you like, but he will even himself cover him with his hand. Now listen to the rest of it. Until I've passed by and then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. What is that about? You will see my back but my face will not be seen. Well, some of the early commentators, the very early commentators say, Moses sees the back of God, that is the past, what God has done. But he cannot see the present even. He can't gaze on the glory of the present and he certainly cannot see the future. God gives an answer to Moses. It mightn't be the answer he wants 
but he takes him seriously. So the journey of Moses to the mountain is the longest, most difficult journey of Moses' life, I suggest. Yet it was the one with the most reward, the one he paid the greatest price for. You know what happened when he came down off the mountain? Party time was on and the goldencalf.com was running. And everyone was running around it, clicking on it. So, oh, I want a bit of that. And Aaron, the chief priest, had started the whole show. It's terrible. It's terrible when the church becomes just a plaything. It forgets the essence of what it's there for, to worship and love and serve the living God. Moses comes down from the mountain, it says, with his face shining. His face shining in reflected glory. Reflected glory. Not his own glory. Reflected glory from meeting God. It is what we call a theophany, a manifestation of the divine. So it is an extraordinary story of journey. Now, to switch forward to Mark 9, 2 to 8, it's the story of the transfiguration. And I choose St Mark's version, there are two versions of this, but I choose St Mark's version because, well, he's a copt, isn't he? He's one of us. And St Mark is such a beautiful evangelist because he just gives you the bare minimum but it has such an urgency and such an immediacy about it. It cuts straight to the point of what's going on. Listen to this. After six days, Yeshua, Jesus, takes with him Peter and Jacob and John and brings them up to a high mountain by themselves. It's starting to sound familiar? Starting to sound familiar to the Exodus narrative? But Yeshua, that means God saves, Jesus, God saves takes Peter, Jacob, James and John and brings them up with him to a high mountain on their own and he was metamorphosed before their eyes. In other words, he did the butterfly routine. The caterpillar turned into a butterfly, yeah? You know, a butterfly, we say a caterpillar metamorphoses. It changes its form. Well, so did Jesus. He changed his form in front of them. All the glory was revealed on the Mount of Tabor. All the glory and here's St Mark in one of my favourite verses in the New Testament. His clothes became radiant and brilliantly white, whiter than any launderer on earth could bleach them. <laughs> There's hope for mums and dads who do the washing yet, isn't there? It's a lovely little homely thing to write, isn't it? St Mark was told by St Peter what had happened, you see. St Mark wrote his gospel under the teaching of St Peter and would have heard those, you could just hear St Peter saying, you've never seen anything like it. His clothes were so bright, brighter than anything you can imagine. And of course they were, because this is divinity being fully revealed. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Yeshua. Peter responds to Yeshua and says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah and St Mark again. And this must come straight from St Peter. He didn't know what to say for they were terrified. You see what strength there is in the Bible, my friends? 
when you just put the personal and begin to understand what's being written here. This is not a story just of a great event. This is an eyewitness account of something beyond any human experience that, that words almost fail. How can you explain that? He's struggling for words. It says he didn't know, Peter didn't know what to say for they were terrified. Reminds you again of what was happening on the Mount at Sinai, yeah? Listen to this part. And a cloud came, ah, overshadowing them. A cloud, another cloud. A cloud came, overshadowed them with darkness. But inside the cloud was what? Light. This was what the fathers called luminous darkness. How can you have bright darkness? Well, I'll explain that in a moment. Suddenly, they looked around. Sorry, I missed the most important part. The cloud came and overshadowed them, and out of the cloud came a voice, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Christians, we need to listen to Jesus every day. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw any with, anyone with them except Yeshua, except Jesus. Moses had taken the train with Elijah back to glory. And here was Jesus. He was God with his beautiful people still. You see the love of our God for us? He didn't abandon them. The cloud lifted eventually on Sinai. Oh, it still appeared as a pillar of flame and a pillar of cloud. But in Jesus, the person of God comes down on earth and does not leave us because he gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, discussing among themselves what it is to rise from the dead. The Jews had no understanding of that. What is it? When you're dead, you're dead. You go down to the pit to Sheol and you awake God. But this one tells us, you will understand this when I rise from the dead. And they questioned him saying, why do the scholars of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus told them, indeed Elijah comes first. He restores all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be treated with contempt? I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it's written about him. Of course, he's talking about John the Baptist. He's come. Two mountains, two journeys, two encounters with God. The second of far more infinite intimacy and immediacy than the first. Not to take anything away from the first. So our Christian life is about journeying, travellers, right? We are travelling. We are always or should be always in a state of movement. We never arrive until you check in your ticket at the gates of heaven, right? You're always moving. Always moving. And the sacraments are just for that, to give you food for the journey. That's the ancient name for communion in the early church, viaticum, food for the journey because you need it. You can't travel home 
unless you've got the food to keep you going, right? If you're travelling, it would indicate you're on the way to somewhere and you know where you're going to. But how do you travel? Is it simply about going to church? No, it's about much more than that. And I'm going to give you a few quotes. And I'm going to flesh these quotes out for you from the Holy Fathers to give you an understanding and to remind myself of what this journey is about. It's a daily journey. And I've quoted these before, but I haven't spoken in Melbourne for quite a long time. So if you've heard them before, bad luck, you'll hear them again because I'm still studying what they mean. Mar Isaac, St Isaac the Syrian said this, the ladder to the kingdom of God is hidden inside you and in your soul. The ladder to the kingdom of God is hidden inside you. It is in your soul. And you thought you were coming here to find the way to heaven? It starts here. The first church is the church in your heart the heart you give to Jesus each day. The ladder to the kingdom of heaven is hidden in your soul. St Isaac says, therefore, dive down into yourself, away from your sinfulness, and you will find the steps by which you can rise. Dive down into yourself, ignoring the sinfulness, because that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're not a sinner, you sin, yes, and I guess we're sinners in the sense we do that, but that doesn't define who we are, not for those who are taking the medicine to try to overcome that, and guess what, you'll never fully overcome it, that's okay, but you will by his grace become better each day with rises and falls. Dive down into yourself away from sin and you will find there the steps by which you can climb up. What does he mean by that? The ladder to the kingdom of God is hidden within you. It's your heart. It's the deepest aspect of your being which you should give to God each and every day. And in the process of giving to him, the way is made clear. So the world itself becomes transfigured. Oh, I love, I, I just, I love this church. You can see the beauty of God's creation, except for those power lines. But all this beauty, look at it. Look at it, children. It's magnificent. God's glory all around us. And the greater glory is hidden within. It's magnificent. The ladder of the kingdom is hidden inside you. And it's in your soul. So dive down. Don't be lazy. Don't buy a stand by the side of the pool. Oh, I'm frightened of the water. Oh, what will happen? I'll drown. Dive in. And take the hand of God who will lift you up and give you confidence that though you are clothed in sin, I love you still. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will wash you whiter than snow. That's what God says to us through the prophets. That's the hope of resurrection that God gives to us. That's the first thing. The ladder's inside you, you've got to dive down and begin to take the hand of God and go up that ladder. And the second is a beautiful saying. St Isaac said this, Thirst for Jesus, so he may make you drunk with his love. Whew. 
You know what that means? Drunkenness, of course, means to lose your balance, to lose your sense of self. It's a horrible thing. But to be drunk with the love of Jesus means you have no other care in the world but the love of God, which makes you available for all. You see? Because that's the first commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. How do I remember that so well? I used to be an Anglican priest. It was in the service. It's a beautiful thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love him. How many of us love God enough? I'll tell you now, brothers and sisters, I don't love him enough, but I want to love him more. I want to spend all my life trying to love God more because I'm going to spend a long time with him when this show's over and this old bag of bones drops. I'll be with him in glory, inshallah. I pray for that each day. With all our blessed dead, all our blessed saints of God, whom we only now see darkly as through a mirror. Thirst for Jesus. Do you thirst for Christ? Do you desire Christ above all? If you don't, talk to another Christian who does and get infected with love for God. It's wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. It begins to make you more and more immune to the allure of the world, the flesh and the devil, because your heart is in the hands of a living God. Now here, the third saying from St Isaac, I've got four sayings tonight, here's the third one. This is wake-up call. If I had a bell, I'd ring it. This is a wake-up call. St Isaac said this, it's a hard thing to be a slave serving the body. What? Well, you can say that you're a monk. It is a hard thing to be a slave serving the body. Well, that's for every human being. Serving the body means serving self first, giving in to every desire, taking an overly active interest in appearances, even in religious appearance. I want to be humble, so I'll walk a little lower and speak a little softer. It's not what it's about at all. It's about being authentically Christian, authentically loving others as we love ourselves. It's a hard thing to be a slave to the body. Why? Because desire creates what? Desire, yeah? Desire creates desire. In 1995, I was so wrapped when I bought my first computer. I thought it was great. It had 32 meg of RAM. Well, I thought the world had ended. I'd go to heaven on 32 meg of RAM. And as each new thing came out, Guess what? I wanted it. Of course I wanted it. I wanted it. And I learned to say no. I learned to say no about a whole lot of things. But computers were interesting. I'm not a computer buff. I'm hopeless. But I kind of like that because I listen to the, the drivel the salesman tells you. Oh, it'll be wonderful. Never be outdated. <laughs> you never need more than 32 meg of RAM. Isn't it funny? And the devil tells you that constantly. Whatever the latest thing is, oh, you'll be right once you've got that. If you wear whatever the latest fashions in clothing, I won't embarrass myself because I don't know what they are. 
But if you wear that, you'll be right. You've got the right... You know, what is it that people do these days? A lot of kiddos, they wear these jackets and jeans. They've got labels on the outside advertising them, you know? Oh, there's a label, I oh, hit you're cool because you've got that on. Some of the people come to the church, they've got that polo thing, the Ralph Lauren thing, you know? Yeah? I always do it. I'm terrible. You're awful, Muriel. You know, I'll say to them, gee, it's great what they can do in China, isn't it? How they can imitate those. Oh, gee, they get so upset with me. But it's ridiculous. Huh? Is it ridiculous? Life is more than food and clothing, beloved. Life is more desire the things of the soul. Build your soul with love for God, the things that are eternal. That's what they all did, all these people. That's why we love them so much, because they show us a beautiful church, this beautiful iconography. Glory be to God. It's a hard thing to be a slave to the body. Too many changing fashions, too many changing desires. And, you know, in Australia, because we're upwardly mobile, filthy, rich compared to the rest of the world, the more we have, the more we want, and the more we have, the less human we become. Did I say yes, that's true? The more we have, the less human we become because we become deaf to the needs of others who have less. Selfishness is, one of the, it is the number one problem, isn't it? Worship of self, but St Isaac says, what did he say? He said, dive down into yourself, away from sin. Well, that little S self away from sin is the image and the likeness of God because that's who you are. You need to be told constantly because you forget your children of God. And then it comes to prayer. Sorry, I'm a bit all over the place with this because I haven't spoken in public other than in my parish for a long time, so forgive me, please. It makes sense to me, but then again, I think I've got early onset Alzheimer's or something, I don't know. Oh, I do sometimes. I think I've said all that before. Anyway, it doesn't matter. This is very important, this one. People often say to me, how can I know the will of God? Is that the Coptic favourite question of the year? I need to know God's will. Oh, I've got to know God's will. Oh, they come to me like that. Lord, they just about need to see a doctor. They get so upset about it. I've got to know God's will, Abuna. Well, so it's not a mystery game. Huh? You think God sits in heaven and says, ah, <laughs> earthlings? <laughs> You'll never know my will. No, wrong. No, try again. That's not God, that's an idol. That's an idol. You need to know God's will. I'm attracted to so-and-so. Can, can we get married? Is it God's will? God doesn't run. What is it? I don't know. Heavenlymatchmaker.com I've got three offers for two jobs. Which one do I take? I need to know God's will. Please refer to the above and change the, the web address to employment.com. God doesn't run that either. You run it. He gave it into your hands to run. To use your reason, your free will and your godliness to work it out. Yes, seek advice, definitely, that's fine. But don't be in a tiz about it. Oh, I'm so worried about what God's will is for me. No, I said you're worried because it might happen that you get something you don't like and you're worried how you'll cope with it because you really want that instead. You're trying to twist God's arm up his back? Don't do it. 
He'll get you. He does. He gets you. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. <laughs> oh, boy. I always wanted to be a priest. Funny how that works, isn't it? Sometimes I feel a lot like Jonah. I want to run the other way. I want to run away. Selfishness. Who could run from Jesus? Who can we go to? I tell you, there's no greater love than Jesus Christ. None. Okay, here's prayer for you. I want you to try this when you go home. No, say it now, whatever. Here we go. Drum roll, please. Coptic saint, Amber Macarius. Saint Macarius the Great said this. Amber Macarius was asked, how should I pray? What a question. Hang on a minute. So he pulled out the Agbir. No, he didn't. How should I pray? Come to the 5 a.m. mass. He didn't even say that. How should I pray? Well, it was a bit difficult in the desert. How should I pray? And the old man said, that's disrespectful. No, it's not. When it says the old man, it says one who's old in wisdom, who's been a friend of God all his life. So he speaks out of the abundance of his heart. And the desert fathers are called old men and the mothers are called old women. That's what it means. We need to love and respect our elders. Okay. The old man said, no need for long teachings. Hang on a minute, you've got to put us out of business. No need for long teachings. It's enough to stretch out your hands and say, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. Radical? Yes. Not, oh God, give me this. Oh, please, Lord, if I could just be managing director of BHP. Get me on the board, Lord, and then make it so that I can get through. If I look at, and if that door closes quickly, I'll know that it's a sign from you. And if it doesn't, that's all rubbish. Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. In other words, what? I am here as your servant. I am here to do whatever it is you place me in because it will take it from your hands. I will take it from your hands and I will accept it and I will bend my will to be your servant as much as Moses bended his will and climb that mountain and spend 40 days, not in a timeshare resort, 40 days in a cloud on top of the mountain looking into the face of God which he couldn't see. Yeah? Looking into thick darkness and being illumined. BYW kids, bend your will. Bend your will. Bow down before the yoke of Christ, for it is easy and his burden is light. And when you begin to pray as Macarius, St. Macarius tells us, no need for long discourses. It is enough to stretch out your hand and say, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. That's what I would call in colloquial English a gutsy prayer. That is a really powerful prayer, isn't it? As you know, Lord, and as you will, have mercy. How many times have you prayed that prayer? You know. Pray it more often. In fact, every day. And then Macarius says this, If your conflict grows fiercer, say, Lord, help me. Why are the saints so simple? Because they have the kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. 
That's what they have. Keep it simple. That's what the desert is all about. You see, the desert is the place of clearing out all the self and meeting God as if face to face where there's no place to hide, where it's just you and him. And every Christian should have that in their heart. There should be that place set apart for God where you can speak with him and receive the grace to follow his will. And then St Macarius finishes up by saying, the Lord knows very well what we need and he always shows us his mercy. Goodness me, how often do you say, Lord, have mercy? All these languages. Lord of mercy, 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 Lord of mercy. Well, do you mean it? Huh? By about the 23rd time, I suspect you don't. Enter into the prayer. In other words, become mercy yourself. The mercy you ask from God is inside you already. It is not so high in the heavens you need to climb up to get it. It's not Moses. You don't have to climb the mountain anymore to bring it down. You've got to do what St Isaac said. You've got to dive deep inside yourself to find it. And you've got to walk it into action. If you ask God for mercy, do it. If you ask God to be compassionate and understanding, exercise it. Cut off your own will, BYW. Bend your will before God. I'll tell you, believe me, there's a new world waiting when you begin to live like that. There's a new world waiting and you will enter into the glorious liberty of the children of God, walking with head held high, face towards God and arms outstretched to your brothers and sisters. In short, you become Christian. And that's what it means to live in the mercy and love of God, to be for others what Christ is for us. I no longer call you servants, but what? Friends. Friends. I'd like to see a lot of more friends in the church. I'm not talking about friends, mates. I'm talking about people who, as I quoted earlier, Plato are a single soul dwelling in two bodies. People who love each other's lives as much as they love their own. What a festival of love there is when that occurs. When happiness arises. When jealousy and spite and contempt and judgmentalism is cast aside for the junk that it is and light, truth, freedom and life enter into the soul. Oh, there's joy in heaven. Angels dance around to see the children of men becoming what God made them to be. Glory be to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the end. Father Michael. Do we have this question and answer thing still, this Coptic business? Do you do that? It's not a youth meeting without Q&A, is it?